everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Hardcore Perspectives. Uh, it's Anu. And Gia. And um, after a little bit of time off, we're finally <laughs> getting to talking about travel and tourism around the world. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's no secret that Anu and I love traveling, and I think both of us have been known for running off on solo random adventures and group trips quite frequently. Yeah, I gave my mom a heart attack multiple times. <laughs> Where did Anu go? Oh, she's in Japan. Uh, some of my favorite memories are from vacays and weekend trips and study abroads, road trips. Uh, I just love to be on the move when I can be and just yeah. see new things, being with my best friends or meeting new people along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of my favorite quotes. Uh, because, you know, travel has meant different things to different people throughout the ages. And evolution intended us to be travelers. Settlement for any length of time in cave or castle has been a drop in the ocean of evolutionary time. And that's from Bruce Chatwin's Anatomy of Re- Restlessness. And I really like that quote, Gia, because it, it kind of, you, you were saying, like, your desire to move or be in a new place in a new context. And I feel like nowadays it's such, like, a... Um, glorified concept like oh you travel you go abroad you do these things and we have more we have more means to do it but it's in it's inherent in us as people we've always been on the move that's not something new no travel has different connotations with it but what is what is travel anyway yeah I mean it's different for different people I feel like now it kind of has a class connotation because like you know it takes a certain amount of money and availability time availability to be able to go do it and uh you know organization but we'll get we'll get into that in a second because um but I mean like since our ancestors strolled out of Africa or even the ocean (laughs) um, (laughs) evolution uh, humans have traversed uh and mapped out an entire world and sea and even some of space so exploration is just in our blood um and it's by looking at the stars in the skies that we were able to know our place in the universe and we exist in context to everything else so in scoping out our surroundings gives us meaning and uh it's shaped uh we're shaped by our interaction with the environment and traveling and geography and yeah. uh and i think it's poetic and awesome this is just hella fun <laughs> <laughs> you're getting super into that i could see like just yeah. your I my mean, body's moving yeah now. your body's like on the move in this office no and I agree and like yeah I mean aside from even just the meaning and like the search for who you are mm-hmm. um <laughs> like in the 1600s and stuff like migration moving mm-hmm. was not just for figuring out who you are but like to survive right like we right. moved across places across what we now know as different countries in order to find a better place to live for food for shelter and all those things right um and I think that's really important because um we still see that now and I don't want to talk about it right now but like in the context of immigration where people are doing a similar thing to what we were doing a long time ago to escape bad situations right um that's still it's not like that's why I was asking what is travel even right travel for us now is going to a place to a different context to kind of discover things about ourselves in other places to maybe broaden our perspective but Fundamentally, the movement that's involved in traveling is also just migration, right? Yeah, which it kind of stems from our ancient past because our ancestors migrated to follow after migrating animals because the seasons were changing. And so mm-hmm. there was a, you know, first they had that biological need because they had to follow the animals for food and shelter and warmth. We were just like birds. Uh, right. <laughs> and then when agriculture came along, came along and we started putting down um, places to live in bigger societies, more stable 
uh, sedentary societies, then I think travel kind of switched more into pilgrimages because people used to travel to holy sites that they had uh, walked through before. Mm-hmm. Um, and people traveled for that. And then after, and then like with the advent of agriculture and more technology, it, travel became a little bit easier and more necessary just because people needed to do commerce. So yeah. trade was the big one. And, I mean, we'll get into technology in a little bit because that's a whole beast that's completely changed our travel landscape and tourism um, so significantly. But, I mean, let's kind of go back to um, back in the day. I mean, the Romans, right? Right. Like, um, all roads lead to Rome, right? Mm -hmm. That's a phrase for a reason because they were were doing a fantastic job doing that, creating channels of um or like pathways for travel um i mean we didn't have cars and stuff then or they didn't have cars and stuff then um and when we speak about travel in the context of like that time period we're talking about walking we're talking about carriages we're talking about like horses yeah um so that maybe donkeys too (laughs) a mule or two whatever animal you could get a hold of because i mean when i think back to the oregon trail and stuff uh, right like they just had like i always think of an ox oh my gosh yeah that yeah I did not do very well in that game. I don't... Everybody always got dysentery and died. <laughs> Seriously. There was no way to beat it. I don't know. I would not have survived in that time. Um, I have planes and cars now. There's no way I could do that. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, that's an important, that's interesting to me, right? Just thinking, sure. like, when, when when we were researching this, kind of, this podcast. Um, Which is I, really haphazard, because there's, yeah. I mean, there's not really anywhere to begin, but there's a lot to learn about everything, because, like, yeah. yeah. And uh, I went on uh, to gapyear.com, if anybody's interested. They did a kind of fun job dissecting mm. a timeline of um, history and uh, the, tra- the history of travel. So um, I think they came the closest to being the, the most comprehensive uh, online resource for me. But uh, what did they if say? Anybody wants to check it out? It's it's very interactive too. It's almost like reading an interactive storybook online about how travel uh, changed from with especially with the changes in technology. It's worth checking out if anybody's curious. Yeah, and so I think what just blew my mind in the beginning was um, thinking about, you know, like accessibility of different places, mm-hmm. right? Like we were saying, like migration to move, I mean, like an Oregon Trail or, or anything, that wasn't a short journey, right? That took fucking forever. Right. And so when I was reading about like, you know, Roman roads and the way people traveled or moved to places back then, like when people would travel from Rome to Naples, for example, mm-hmm. um, it would take them six days by carriage to do that. Wow. And it was an entire trek, an entire journey. Um, and I mean, just to give you a comparison, it takes two and a half, two and a half hours by car today. Right. So, I mean, I think that's significant because like, quote unquote, like the barriers to travel um, which play into, as you mentioned earlier, like who could travel, right? I mean, you said that even now there's a connotation that it's for the rich. Mm-hmm. I would argue that it's actually the most accessible that it's ever been with like, you know, the creation of technology, the ability sure. to make cheaper tickets and all that. But like back then, who had fucking six vacation days to travel? Like right. definitely not the workers. Like <laughs> who had six days to go and then six days to come back and actually have time in between? So exactly. it was only the very rich that were able to move um, for pleasure at least. Yes. And the Romans really were the ones that kind of started this idea of, well, let's actually move places for fun, not just for food. Right. And, it was and for only the rich learning Romans. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, uh, that was what the Romans did. They, there was commerce and conquest because they wanted to go rule all the other cultures <laughs> but they had to learn about them first so there was a lot of uh scholars running around traveling 
and just mapping out the world and learning about it, uh, which I think is a little some we carry that tradition into now as well with the study abroad programs and stuff, but um, we definitely do. It's like almost like a rite of passage now. Yeah, it's kind of an indulgence to like a privilege to have that. We definitely For do sure. that like in study abroad and I mean the kind of culture around travel now, like to go discover myself, right. eat, pray, love, I'm thinking <laughs> of, like let's go and eat and like figure out who I am and orient myself in this world. A right. spiritual uh, kind of journey, which I don't know, the pilgrimage thing when I was reading about pilgrimages, just said that completely wrong but like those kind of spiritual journeys were interesting to me because that shows me that we as people see a value beyond us in this concept of travel right Right. now people travel for all sorts of reasons and I've kind of done a pilgrim pilgrimage myself with my mom when we went to India we uh, we um, checked out the golden temple and a bunch of other holy Sikh sites Mm -hmm. um and in a way there's the spirituality of it but it's also art and architecture and tradition and food and all that other culture that comes with it you get like you see how that's all interwoven uh and and, and yeah no 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 I agree I think it's um no I agree with that I think there's like this weird this um unique discipline too Mm -hmm. so at least in Punjab with the Sikh temples yeah um, like walking amongst, I don't remember the number of how many there There's are. There's five like, ducks or whatever. Five, okay. Yeah. And you travel between them, and it's like more of a disciplinary act, too, right. um, which is where like the spiritual kind of guidance came right. into my mind. And I guess I just wondered, maybe I don't know now, is when did that become a thing? Was that... Man, I feel like it's been a thing since, like, Moses. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Maybe even before, you know, with, like, uh, I mean, Jesus used to travel and preach, and Moses traveled and preached, and uh, so did Muhammad. I mean, uh, even our guru. Yeah, Guru Nanak. He was a traveling poet. So I feel like uh, as soon as people had language and religion, and they were already traveling, so while they were traveling, they were just, like, passing on their information, because I feel like that that's the other thing. It's like... Yeah. When when you travel, you run into other cultures and other things happening, and that wasn't always a good thing. I mean, clash of cultures. There's you know, people getting. I mean, when the Europeans ran into anybody that wasn't European, it was always kind of nasty. And even when they ran into other Europeans, there was always war. So I mean, yeah. it wasn't always peaceful and happy. And oh, hey, look, I'm traveling, and I'm to stu- I'm studying abroad to learn uh, about art and architecture. It used to be, if you traveled to a different country, you were probably in danger. Yeah, and also just like the perpetual, like you didn't know other folks at that point probably, so like everyone's traveling, everyone's a moving target, and you encounter Mm -hmm. other folks, and it's like, oh my god, (laughs) I, like we don't have Facebook to know about you, like we don't have that information, we're learning that as we literally are on the go, and that can be threatening, because we are still tribal, right? And you have like those shitty maps, nobody had Google Maps, (laughs) everybody was just kind of, had stuff carved out on bark, or, or you know, animal skin, and it was like fading half the time and then I mean they, they I mean that's how updates. Columbus ended up in America quote unquote <laughs> India sorry yeah so they were when they got lost back then they really got lost it was not a small deal it was like 30 years of your life I being still lost. can't believe we celebrate that guy but um <laughs> well you know not everybody does I think Seattle's kind of moved away from that into like what is it indigenous people's day or something yeah so I think they're trying to like politically correctify but the fact that anyone would be like this guy stumbled upon a country that he thought was a different country (laughs) is like America like that is yeah anyway um (laughs) off 
topic. Yeah, um, but the other uh, with along with that, there, there's not just the pilgrimages, but like I, I wanted to throw in this like fun fact about um, bars because they were one of the first. Uh, like businesses because when people were traveling so if like a merchant had to like go down the silk road and sell his spices or whatever he'd probably like roll off uh, the highway or the road if there was one to go drink and like because the the bars are connected to inns and Mm -hmm. so they could like lodge for the night and then also get boozed up and like celebrate not getting killed on the road (laughs) (laughs) oh my god definitely that's necessary I mean that's kind of that kind of has stuck around right like when you're taking if you're like doing a road trip or whatever and actually you know like on the go you'll see hotels and stuff to stop in and so the, that's where, like, all the tourism and industry comes around. Because, like, when people are traveling, you're creating, like, this whole industry around it. And so then comes the infrastructure and jobs. That's what's fascinating to me yeah. was, like, just thinking about, like, our limitations and our opportunities based on what sorts of means of transportation we have. Or if we have limitations physically, like, if you're an island like Japan, yeah. you have different travel or migration needs than, like even in America, and I was watching um, a video about, I mean, how shitty train travel is in the U.S., and I thought that was interesting, (laughs) because, I mean, we have, we don't really, our our trains are very slow, Mm -hmm. Um, they're regulated, so that makes a difference, so again, like, laws and policies govern our ability to move and travel and transport ourselves, Um, and, I mean, this is, I don't want to get off topic here, but um, who owns the means of transportation makes a difference, right? So in the U.S., there's like a privatized industry, so we don't get to be as cool as Canada that is a national railway. Um, And I thought it was interesting because trains became a huge thing. I think the first train, at least the first major train in the U.S. was in 1827. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just interesting to see like different countries and how they've adopted their travel, like the way that they choose to travel because in Japan rail I mean trains are a huge thing I, they have the fastest train in the world um, that's over 300 miles per hour that's right awesome. the Shinkansen um, because they've created their entire society and the way that it's laid out around the ability to have trains right uh, we hadn't and as soon as we got cars in 19 in the 1900s as soon as Ford dropped the car everyone was like we want our own car right. and by 1950, the average um, tra- car ownership in America was one per household, which yeah, is significant. Crazy. Like, yeah. I think we grew so quickly in, like, the independent owning our own vehicle. Right, right. Um, which kind of connects to our own culture of individualism. I don't know. Yeah, I no, thought totally that was does. really interesting. Because the whole idea of uh, the American road trip is just, like, almost a rite of passage. And, like, learning to drive is how you grow into adulthood in America. Is getting your driver's license is a big deal. And the individual freedom of having a car and then also the social status symbol of being able to afford your own car and the gas that comes with it, the insurance that goes with it. Um, I think it's definitely, you have to have a very strong middle class uh, to be able to have that sort of thing. Yeah, and uniquely, like, we can start kind of getting driver's permits more 15 and, like, in Europe you wouldn't find that. No. That's, um, I have cousins in Europe that are 19 and 20 and they don't have their license yet because it's not... One, necessary and economically feasible, and also they don't see it as a priority. Right. Um, And it's definitely, every every society has its own uh, ideas of how to travel and which is, uh, and why they travel. I think that's always a difference um, between culture to culture. 
and class system to class system. I mean, for the leisure class, it's a rite of passage, and it's mm-hmm. something you should do to broaden your horizons. And then for people that are just looking for jobs, sometimes it's a necessity to have to travel to for your job or to get a new job or to move to a, a, an area you can actually afford. Yeah, it's... I think it's just interesting, like, so I've, I mean, you've traveled, I've traveled, and going mm-hmm. around different cities and seeing how those cities are set up for your ability to get around. Right. That right? makes a huge difference in everything. Yeah. I mean, like, Seattle, you can get around. We have a pretty good bus system here. I was blown away by Japan when I was there, Tokyo. Tokyo is massive. You can get away, you can get around anywhere, though, in wow. minutes because of their train system, though. Right. That's also easy to navigate. Um, you go to, I went to Paris and that was incredibly horrible. Um, I mean, you can walk around Paris, but, uh, their train system wasn't very great either. Um, they have cars? They do. They're smaller cars, narrower okay. roads. Okay. Um, but that's why they have the small cars. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of folks did walk and I think they lived on, in the area that they worked okay, in. Um, and I mean, they still had, they had trains they had underground trains in a way that we don't have um in the same way so they were still pretty equipped to get around the city and then you think of like india where it's like i just guess i i've been blown away by the past few times i've gone there because when i first went there it was so it was horrible i mean Mm -hmm. like the road from Delhi. so as you know Delhi is a major kind of city in Mm -hmm. india our family lives in punjab um which is you know, quite a... Like, eight hours away or something? Eight by hours car. by car, but only because the rail roads are shit. Yeah. Like, if the roads were the way that they are in America, it would take, like, three hours. Mm-hmm. So that's significant. Like, I just think that's, that's interesting. <laughs> and everybody, well, there's a lot of traffic and stuff, too. I mean, the train's faster, but... Um, that's just the, a recent development, right? Right. But, well, in India, the, the British set up a pretty good train system. That's one of the things that they did, that they uh, brought in the train infrastructure. But if you're trying to get to a small village, the small villages don't they have didn't infrastructure. Have so even if you took a train near my village, it would probably still take you an hour to like or longer to get from the train station back to the village, um, even though it's not that far. It would just like take forever to get there. Yeah, and you know, at that point, you know, yeah, it's like hard it's to get to, and you don't even want to go. And no. that's what's interesting: the more barriers you put up, like the more travel is like this exoticized thing, right? So we were talking about how travel wasn't; it was like out of necessity before, like migration, like moving places, right? And for us now, like in America, quote unquote millennials, like it's this thing that's really accessible mm-hmm. that we like to do, that we kind of think you need to do. Um, and it's not, I mean, whenever I take a step back and I'm like, oh my God, I just got on a plane. I'm on halfway across the world. I blows my mind, but I right. think we take it for granted. And when I went to India last year or two years ago now, it just blows our mind that there's the ability for me to pick up my phone and book a ticket and be in India. Mm-hmm. Like they can't do the same. No. So I just want to like emphasize that. Cause I feel like we're like, oh my God. And we're going to talk about this, like travels, Travel and tourism is booming. We have so much accessibility, which is true. Yeah, I think um, like one in eight jobs in America is related to travel and tourism. And that's a huge number. And it's huge. growing as well. And it's getting bigger in India and all over the world. China is a growing industry for tourism. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the world comes, like the bigger the middle class gets around the globe, there's going to be more and more interaction, which I think is a good thing. The big thing, at least what millennials will say, is there's a huge difference between, I guess, travel and then being a tourist. 
Um, so whatever that means, like, um, that is a weird thing because everybody loves to travel, but no one wants to be a tourist. Right. Except boomers did. So I was looking up stats cause I was really interested and actually AARP, this is not an ad for them, had very interesting breakdown of their demographics cause they have access to that kind of travel information and they broke it down by millennials and boomers. Um, and I mean, they showed that like on average, we, millennials travel more, of course. Like, yeah. I feel like that's a commonly understood concept, um, but they approximate about 4.2 trips per year for millennials and 2.9 for the boomers. Um, and that millennials, 72% in 2015 plan to travel versus 40% of boomers. Um, wow. And then they also found that millennials were the least likely to say that they wanted to take a trip to quote-unquote relax. Hmm. Um, we're Boomers were looking for that. They were looking for a trip to Cancun. Okay, so like um, a luxury cater to me, like the glam Kind of like vacation. the Romans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rich Romans. Like um, I want to go to the resort and chill out, whereas millennials are looking for to get into the nitty-gritty where the locals hang out kind of a thing. Right, like yeah. they want to live with the locals. Boomers don't want to do that. I'm not saying there's a good or bad to it. I think there's no I, culture I there. Too. And like the whole Airbnb culture. Yeah. And I feel like the, with the... Uh, advent of the internet just new apps that are coming up travel is like way easier than it used to be even like five ten years ago and people are doing it in a completely new way and people i mean it i don't think it's unheard of to live with in people's houses when you travel but at at the mass rate it's done now is yes. pretty incredible it is incredible because airbnb what didn't launch till 2008 Something like that. Um, I have this ago. written down here somewhere. 2008, yes. Okay. So that's when Airbnb started. Only 10 years. It's only been 10 years. And, you know, like, think of boomers who didn't have all these apps and also were exposed to information about different countries. Hollywood is, like, definitely using that as a niche, like, right. trying to sh- demonstrate the beauties of travel and also taking us literally, well, in a visual way to another place, which right. I feel like factors into our desire to travel to a new place or yeah. makes us feel more comfortable with it. Boomers didn't have that. So I just think it's interesting when we're talking about the effects of travel. Well, it depends. And it, I mean, before I keep talking, I mean, I think the whole crux here is technology. For sure. How has technology changed the way we move? Yeah. And I think one of the things, well, we just talked about Airbnb, but I also think it the internet makes research and booking uh, things way easier and simplifies things and you can contact people like immediately when you get to the country it gets um moving around is just simplified the stress is taken out of it you have maps with you now and they're good they're not animal skin maps like (laughs) in your pocket they talk to you they tell you where to go you're not um going to accidentally turn it upside down and end up in america right and then you have a safety net if you like run into issues you can call for help you can get money wired to you or there's a lot of security and that's not something that would have existed before you probably needed a lot more planning a lot more contingency plans like I've been fortunate where like you know I had like $300 stolen when I went to Amsterdam one time yeah it sucked it was on my birthday too oh no yeah happy Um, birthday I know the the person who stole my wallet was kind enough the next day to throw my IDs all over the train station floor but took my wallet because they liked it um, and my money. <laughs> so you got your IDs back, though? I took my IDs back, okay. yes. My wonderful uh, UW ID. But um, I had the means to take out a loan. Like, okay. I had, right. I didn't even need to plan that that would happen. I didn't know that was going to happen, but I had the means to be able to still have the money and to travel right. with uh, with what I had. 
And it's so different from how our parents traveled because they didn't have any of that safety net. Like, and they were not traveling for no, what we are. No, because when my parents traveled, it was for work. It was to get out of a, a war zone or something yes. like that, you know? It was a totally different type of travel. And so for them, my parents still don't really take vacations. They might take a few days off work, but it's to go see family. Same. It's like their concept of vacation isn't what the boomers uh, concept is because like I feel like the boomers mm. of, of course the, I'm talking about the luxury class of the boomers the people that can afford it and that's the other thing I think why our um, ideas of what a vacation is might be different because boomers can afford luxury resort ho- hotels and so I think um, and especially in for them it was since it was a status symbol it was their generation is programmed to almost like think of that as the reason you travel to signal like the yeah. success right yeah because and making... go relax because yep. you know like all I'm a baller I'm making all this money now I'm gonna go chill and do nothing and have other people wait on me and then for our generation we have less money yes. I think we have more flexibility because I mean I don't have a house to look after <laughs> do you <laughs> no um I wish I did but no and I agree yeah. with that I think that contributes to our nomadic lifestyle right the constraints yeah. that we have and the lack of resources. <laughs> so, like, I mean, like, I guess relative cost, right? Yeah. So we can't afford a house. Yeah, it's too no. expensive. Um, we're also moving jobs much more rapidly because yeah. we're living in an age where that's just a thing. Technology uh-huh. makes it almost impossible to just sustain one sort of job. Like, yeah. we're, we're continually changing. So that's all, I mean, relatively then, like, if you can't afford a house, we're definitely giving shit for avocado toast because, like, relatively, <laughs> avocado toast may seem expensive but we can't afford other luxury goods. Right. So we're looking at other things that are not, it's not a house, but it's something <laughs> else that we can channel, right? Yeah. So travel, it's like we can't stay in one place. It's too expensive. Why not go to Asia where you can actually afford a $2 meal? Yeah, where a thousand bucks goes way further. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's almost like saving money as you go. And if I'm airbnb I'm not staying in luxury hotels or anything. So it's not like I'm, my vacation is probably less costly than paying a month's rent in Seattle and that depending is on where you go incredibly depressing yeah. and I think that's what's interesting about this evolution of technology too because I definitely think like Airbnb and platforms like that see our generation as a niche market and mm-hmm. they also understand the constraints we're under right so that's what's created this system of kind of not bartering down but like how do we make how do we take subtract costs right, right. how do we make it more efficient which an economist and the kind of econ major in me is like, this is amazing because <laughs> you're filling in gaps of resources. You have folks that have extra rooms. You're connecting that to a market where people are saying, hey, I can afford it at this amount. And you're able to kind of match those Yeah, you can negotiate needs. it down. And that's really cool. And like, then you get air, um, pla- like airline, I mean, we didn't even talk about airplanes being introduced, but yeah, we skipped some time and then now we had airplanes and we we're flying places, but like now we have like platforms for right. buying airline tickets. You don't need a travel agent. We have no. Priceline. We have other companies um, that are able to negotiate prices for us. Right. And again, if you're flexible on flight dates with some airlines, you can get really sweet deals. But then again, uh maybe a working boomer might not have that same flexibility because they have a house and kids to look after whereas like a millennial who's delayed marriage and buying a house because of constraints financial constraints they have the flexibility to up and go yeah and so i mean it all kind of like feeds into itself and then um 
what was I gonna say? <laughs> There's so I many had a point, and it was really important to <laughs> you guys. It was the, it was gonna be the most mind blowing point. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. To be fair, um, I feel like your mind just went on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> it's ready to go. <laughs> but um. um no. See, even my mind can't sit still. It's a millennial <laughs> mind. I mean, I feel like the by the, the, the how quickly we talk, we're definitely yeah. just on the go all the time. Um, yeah, you nobody got time to sit and have a peaceful conversation. No, I'm a little antsy just sitting here. And I, I mean, I feel like that's kind of, maybe I just have, um, I have a problem sitting still. But I wonder if that's like more of a thing amongst our people generation. my age. Yeah, I, I know so. a lot of friends that are the same way where they're like, I need to go, I need to do something. You gotta maximize my time. The whole FOMO if you're missing out and everything. FOMO is a huge thing. Also, like, I mean, we work really, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. But well, that's the other thing. Uh, uh, I think, our, but, like, just besides the econ- economics of it, um, well, actually, there's one more thing about economics, like how air, uh, airlines are changing it so like if you don't bring any luggage it'll be like way cheaper or something you're making it more economical but not luxury that, that switch from um luxury class mm-hmm. to the millennial quick and easy and cheap yeah like i think that's definitely been an interesting because like i think it's like what ryanair and icelandic air they're oh, yeah. like the prices are way cheaper but like you don't get the same i mean you don't even get peanuts on these flights anymore. no you don't even get a seat assignment like no, they do a lot of things to make there. it cost efficient actually it's yeah. genius they don't do seat assignments so that the people are incentivized to show up early so that there's not a lot a delayed boarding time right because they want the best seat so people will show up early and line up because they want to get whatever seat they can the flight attendants are they're not trained either they're usually right. newer flight attendants so they don't need to pay them a lot um, so do you there's think, a lot of things do you think that like changes because I mean for me that makes traveling more stressful sometimes because like the way you're cramped in and like it's it's less pleasant to travel in some regards I think for I mean for me I'm poor I'm young <laughs> I can make it work that way but like um I think that's why a lot of this, a lot of those like really cheap flights are catered towards the younger people or whatever mm-hmm. um but I think that's a little bit unfair because not even just to the workers because airlines are so understaffed and overworked um and then but it also sucks to people flying because I mean it, do you think it's worth it do you think it detracts from your experience because mm. I mean for me it's important to get to where I'm going and learn and experience and all that but do you think it detracts from like that process of getting yeah. there I um honestly no I think okay. it's I I just like the efficiency of it and I can see fair enough this could be a slippery slope because I wouldn't want it to get to the point where you're like really mistreating your workers, but I think mm-hmm. that there's policies and stuff in place that prevent that. And I'm on favor of okay. things where, you know, people aren't abused or paid under, like given all those things exist. Um, I think the ability to kind of drive costs down and make a market more accessible while still having markets that if you can have them, you can have more luxury right. and not even like, first class luxury you can have like a middle class luxury which I can't afford at this point but I appreciate things like Ryanair which I used a lot when I was in Europe because $50 for a ticket right from between London and Oslo is worth it for me no fair point because I feel like everybody draws the line a little bit differently because I feel like for short flights um treating planes like buses is kind of cool because then you can cheaply get from place to place um but for longer flights and things like that I, I think it's kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the treatment that you get on air, um, 
because the airlines make a lot of mistakes and I've just had my fair share of like frustrating experiences. Oh yeah, I wouldn't want it to have shortcuts in flying. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on that. That would yeah. stress me out. Yeah, yeah. So like long long flights, I'm wary because the the whole you know more make it more economical. Sometimes I'd rather pay a little bit more just to know things are gonna run smoothly. So it's I I feel like striking that balance can be a little bit difficult sometimes. But I feel overall. It's really nice that more people can travel more easily for cheaper. Yeah, and I do think international flights don't have the same concept because Ryanair is like local. More, yeah, more local, shorter flights. International flights, the only times, I mean, I think cost saving is like you don't get food. Yeah, which I'm, I don't care. And I'd less rather luggage and things. Like yeah, that. yeah, and I, as long as I have full information at booking, I get so mad when I don't know those things until after I've booked because right. sometimes I don't like that. Yeah. As long as there's full information of what I'm getting, what service I'm getting, and there's a price that relates to the lack of services, I'm fine with it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, I mean, covering how technology has changed the way we travel and maybe even perceive travel nowadays, um, I think it's probably important that we talk about travel in context to us and what that culture looks like for, again, quote unquote, millennials. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the big things that people emphasize is like this idea of challenging perspectives, like putting yourself in a different context to kind of disorient yourself. So you reorient yourself in a way that you realize you don't know everything, right? Yeah. You're broadening your perspective. And I was kind of looking into this when I was researching. And um, I mean, some people have done studies on this. And one interesting study I stumbled upon was by a professor from Indiana University. And she had this similar question, like, in what ways does travel actually maybe push your thinking? Mm -hmm. um, and so she had a control group of students in Indiana and then a, con and a students in Greece that had been like doing a study abroad. Okay. And they were posed two similar questions of um, what ways can you travel? Like, what are the ways that you can travel? Okay. What are the different means? And what they found was if folks in Indiana were thinking of travel in terms of Indiana. So like, well, bus, walking, oh, okay. train, car. And then the same, the Indiana students um, that were in Greece were like, well, what about fucking spaceships <laughs> what about like you know like a what like boats and things that doesn't yeah, yeah they wouldn't think of for indiana but they thought of in more general terms okay and i think that kind of highlights like this um idea that when you put yourself in a different context now you're thinking beyond just your limited context of where you right. were it and, forces your brain to think differently yeah and it, i mean and i didn't get to look into too many studies but i know that there's several that have been done and I think anyone that I mean Gia you can speak to mm -hmm. this you studied abroad I feel like anyone that I've talked to that studied yeah. abroad came back and was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I mean I feel like uh I try to be careful because I didn't want to come back and be that girl who's like super pretentious or I've been like oh, I was in Rome for like three months and this I is, know everything now. this isn't real Napoli I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total Roman now <laughs> what is this <laughs> grape juice or wine I mean, right. squirrel's like, glass <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't want to come back and be like I mean, I don't have a little bit of that because I can't, I can't have just regular gelato anymore. Like, there's only fainting goat, I feel, was yes. even close to Roman gelato. <laughs> and that's not that just me, me being pretentious. It's just Roman gelato is way better. That's the um, other challenge of when you travel, you, you know. You can't go back. Higher expectations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but pizza I'm okay with, funny enough, because um, Roman pizza is good. But I feel like Americans do a pretty good job of, because we have, like, a pretty hefty Italian population in America and uh -huh. I think we've done a pretty good job of integrating pizza 
and pastas into America, but the, 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 fr- the freshness of the ingredients and the techniques of making them are a little bit different in Italy. So, um, well, I'll have to test that because, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I loved my study abroad. It was the one thing I was certain I wanted to do because everybody I talked to that had gone, uh, that had graduated college but hadn't studied abroad, they're like, that is the one thing I regret not doing while I could when I had the flexibility and plus just the resources that the UW has. Because when you, um, do a study abroad, you get to live there as a local. Uh, we even had our own apartment, and so we were part of, uh, we lived in Trastevere, which is a really young, hip neighborhood, um, and we got to experience uh, just being there, like shopping at the grocery stores there, and talking to the coffee vendors every day, and the uh, people at the market, and cooking, and living there, and I think um, it kind of shows you just how your life is like when you strip yourself of all other context of who you are, and then there's kind of just like, because, you know, I always wonder, who am I if I'm not at home? And changing your... Because we talked about this and when we were talking mm-hmm. about epigenetics and stuff in previous episodes. Because um, you are determined by your genetics plus your environment. Sure. And so um, your genetics, you can't change too much. But your environment, you can totally change. And so it's kind of fun to see wh- what parts of your personality emerge when you're traveling. And for some people, they're... I mean, some people are nightmares to travel with because yeah. they get freaked out. It's out of their comfort zone. Because they need, especially folks that have been sheltered a lot. Yeah, and they everything confuses and scares them. And but, but I think even those people, when they're out of their comfort zone for a little while, their brains put together new uh, neural connections. It's travel is known to stimulate creativity and um, strengthen confidence in people, and also uh, just more compassion and understanding. Mm-hmm. I think it. You see, you get to interact with new and different people, and plus, then you get some empathy for being the the different one, the being the lost mm-hmm. and the confused, and people help you out. You know, yeah, and you're in a vulnerable position, right? right? And and you don't speak the language, and so it, especially for Americans, you know, where the whole world speaks English, I think sometimes it's humbling to be in a remote part of Italy and not everybody does speak English, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to figure your way out. Yeah, it's nice to have people go through the struggle. I yeah. enjoy doing that. I enjoy being disoriented. Yeah. Um, and I think in one, a fun way. <laughs> in a fun way. I think the b- big thing though that's important for at least travel, actually doing the challenging perspectives and stuff, is how you go into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like being a tourist is fine and all, but also being an active consumer of your travel is right. important to me. So I guess when I so when I traveled, I did a study abroad as well. Um, and Amsterdam and I was like blown away by just the different way people approach life and I think what that's kind of shown me is throughout any job or anything I do is like well there's not really a right way right and it that's what I think that's what kind of builds your confidence and that's what makes you think beyond maybe the box that you're in literally in these buildings that Mm -hmm. we work nine to five in is there's always a different way um there's things that people perceive as differently how they approach differently so like in Amsterdam I was studying drug policy and you know like America has a different you know approach like well at that time different approach to marijuana and stuff and the Dutch were like well we're going to acknowledge that this is a thing people use let's regulate it yeah and so I was like going to coffee shops and the people were smoking pot and it was normal but it wasn't being abused and I was like huh that's interesting like this is a social norm and it has a doesn't have the same stigma and this is how it's approached there's feasibility here there's a different way to do things and that's kind of like the pushing of perspectives that I got and I definitely came back from Amsterdam a little like 
I was in Amsterdam. Yeah. Hopefully not stuck up. I was just, I think some of my friends were a little um, afraid that I was in like a weird mourning period when I got back to America. <laughs> I felt the same way. It's a reverse culture <laughs> shock, but yeah. I mean, I made so many friends there and so many memories. I think that's another thing that comes from travel is people, I mean, you, especially with like uh, everyone wanting to post on Facebook, you want to come back with memories. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's another thing, whether you take pictures or not. Which you probably will, because, I mean, you want to remember everything you see. Um, because you get to... And time moved differently for mm-hmm. me when I'm traveling. Because I feel like when I'm in a routine, it's almost like my brain records over certain parts of my day, because it's the same day, you yeah. know? Because it's the same routine every day. today Tuesday? <laughs> and then when I'm traveling, though, everything is new and my brain's more alert. So I feel like time moves differently. Sometimes slower, sometimes faster, but, like... I feel like I absorb more and do more in a day. And it's definitely tiring, but sure. it's like in that fun, Well, you have the energy because yeah. of the newness of it. That totally makes sense. You mentioned like Instagram and stuff. And really quickly, I want to add this because, I mean, I don't want to just paint this picture of travel being this amazing thing now where people are like, I'm going to explore my person and other people and be Not empathetic. Not for that. No, I mean, as much as social media and technology has made us better able to travel it's also framed our lens of travel right. in a different way which to me is I don't know how different that is from like a quote-unquote vacation to Cancun when you're spending all your time literally looking through the lens of Instagram on how you're traveling and how you want to be perceived right um and like volunteerism and traveling abroad has become a big thing to like help people in Africa mm-hmm. and um, how much of that is, thing, it is a but, good thing, but, but like, I think sometimes. The, the conflict is like, how much has technology really made you empathetic or how much it, has it actually made you want to signal empathy? Right. And there's a big difference. Where it becomes a social marker to be like that activist that goes to a different country and, you know, it's almost like a PR thing. Yes. Where, you know, how politicians will go and do ribbon cuttings in foreign countries <laughs> or whatever, but just for the photo op. Right. Yeah, and so uh, there's definitely some of that, too. And, I mean, to each their own, if that's what you want to do. But, I mean, that's not necessarily increasing cultural sensitivity. Because I feel like a lot of times, especially Americans, unfortunately, um, when we travel, we're kind of brash and loud and we have waiting for the world to cater to us, even yeah. when we're out there, you know? And that's where it's, like, travel, I mean, it's developed in a way that you were saying, like, it's good because we're interacting with more people, which can be good, can mm-hmm. build empathy it can challenge perspectives but it also has to be there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it right you have to travel with some flexibility i was watching a rick steves uh seminar and he was talking about rome because it's one of my favorite cities it's got a special (laughs) spot in my heart um and he said something that i found very true is you have to go to rome on its terms if you go there expecting things to run a certain way and then you get frustrated because the train was 10 minutes late and you missed your connecting train or something or blah 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 you know like this wasn't what I expected you're not gonna have a lot of fun you have to go in and kind of feel the city uh you have to become as much part of the environment uh as everybody else like you have to integrate yourself you can't show up and expect you know servants to come and like help you out or something right and that's and that's a huge thing right in travel is like um expecting what's unexpected knowing that you know nothing going in um yeah because say you miss your train and you're stuck somewhere go explore that city because or whatever you're doing and wait for the next train like say you have 
uh, a couple hours in between or something. Go find something to do. Make friends. Talk to people. Put yourself out there. And yeah, I think that's definitely important. I would. Yeah, and it, I mean, I feel like you have to go into travel that way. I think like so. I lived in Japan for a year, and I think what the biggest takeaway I had was like that thing of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Like I already really love having that. Like especially when I'm traveling, yeah. kind of being disoriented and relishing that. Um, but I mean, definitely like, I mean, living in a different context also challenges it so much because it's like, these are different norms. And I was an English teacher and like balancing, well, uh, I don't know if this is the right teaching style with, well, I'm here as not from this culture. So how much of it is like flexibility with things that are outside of even your own ideas of what is right. Right. And I think that's really important, and I know people can feel will feel differently about this, um, just based on other folks that were in Japan teaching as well. It's like, well, you know, you feel like you know what's right, and you want to impose it so bad because you want to do what's best for them. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest, the worst thing you can do in this like idea of travel and again building global empathy because again the whole point of travel is knowing that there's no right way right so building empathy is creating that understanding creating that patience and learning from that and then at some point you can have a conversation about the rights and wrongs of it but you can't come in doing that you can't come in imposing no which is where like again the volunteerism of i'm saving this african child is bothers me because it's not doing that (laughs) and that's what's going to prevent because I would ideally like some kind of global empathy in a way that connects us. And that's not going to happen by just physically putting ourselves in other spaces without mentally being conscious of, well, how do we actually navigate that? Right. I don't know. I was just preaching there. So I guess I was imposing. <laughs> I'm <Right>. sorry. but <laughs> So do your research and go there with an open mind is what we're saying. Basically. Think, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, and if you don't want to do that, then go to a resort. Like Go to no, Cancun. Yeah. Boomers would love to host you. Yeah. Or maybe not. They kind of, you know, yeah, don't like Yeah, have it. a good time. But And th- I feel like my favorite part of travel is the food. <laughs> yeah, so you're so let's be real. Like, I'm talking about all this empathy and stuff, and, like, really, it comes down to my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> my stomach is going to be building that empathy. You know, why do you think the British conquered half the world? They were trying to get <laughs> spices from India, y'all. <laughs> So many. I mean, I feel like India was trying. Yeah. I mean, literally, we have like they have the richest kind of food source. Yeah. (laughs) Fertile land. Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, So, what are your some one of your favorite things that you uh, tried when you're like food wise when you're abroad? Ah, that is a really hard question because it's so different everywhere. But I still dream about the ramen that I had in my town in Japan. That sounds delicious. It was amazing. And like I already said, I can't go back to regular gelato. <laughs> I've been ruined for my whole life. But um, and surprisingly, when I was in London, uh, which was completely a completely different experience culturally than living in Rome, because Rome is such a walkable city, I never even had to really take the bus anywhere unless we were going like to the other side of the city for something, or if we're going to like different um, cities, like from Rome to Naples or something like that. Um, but London, I had to take the underground train every day and that was a completely different experience and so it changed how I interacted with the city I didn't talk to people as much because on the tube there's like a whole etiquette of not talking to people Mm -hmm. whereas um uh in Rome since you walk everywhere you end up stopping at like the new shop and buying like a bus ticket or you stop and buy some um, breakfast and uh uh, in in town and or like some fruit, some like fresh blood mm-hmm. oranges, and the uh, the at the markets and people start to get to know you and they because they see you around all the time. That's and interesting. Then, yeah, and so like I missed 
I wish that there was more of that interaction in London, but in London, everybody just gets drunk and parties at the pubs, at, like, after <laughs> work gets out, and so that was, a, it was more of, like, a party time versus kind of exploring the art, history, culture, getting to know, it was just totally different. I think that's interesting, just, like, uh, in terms, if I had more time to actually right. research and, like, devote, I guess, my life to this, would be, like, how the means of transportation affect culture, right? Yeah, for sure. So, like, if in Rome, like, if you're, ch- you don't, you walk everywhere, you interact with people, you're inevitably going to do that. Right. Japan, you have train that are efficient as fuck yeah. but it also prevents people from actually having human inter- interaction and that right. makes a difference in India you're just always in chaos and that's the culture you feel <laughs> even just in the cars and stuff I think that's really interesting right. and it's hard to kind of parse out well which influences what but I think they're kind of connected for sure especially so you probably have a similar experience to me in London in Japan because there's because I feel like both cultures the British and the Japanese are much more reserved yeah and so they have like a lot more uh, rules of and etiquette on how you're to interact with people yep. and I wonder if that has to do with uh the way the cities were set up is it uh because is it because the cities are set up that way or were the cities set up that way because the culture was already that way I don't we know, it was, like, know it was all, like, interlinked and stuff exactly and um, just like government set up I don't know there's anyway, a lot of things we're getting to, off track I yeah, think we've getting back to my original lot. point about the food <laughs> thing my the most surprising thing is London has amazing Indian food because there's a huge Indian I population and so the uh the dairy because the British were just really good with dairy stuff because they had goats and cows and nothing else <laughs> <laughs> um so their dairy is really good so the cheesecake in London was amazing but um the Indian food it was to die for because there's so many Indian people and uh Pakistani people mm-hmm. uh and there's just if you go to the like Brixton has a, a huge just ethnic population black people so there's a lot of Jamaicans there so That's if you cool. want cool like spicy stuff there or if you go to South Hall there's all the Indian temples and stuff South anyway, Hall's a lot I need to go back to London because I only went there for family purposes okay. and I need to kind of eat good Indian food yeah. so yeah no I agree I mean, your family's Indian right you yeah but you know them. like it's not the same no like as restaurant food I will say Thailand has you know the best Thai food and that's like stupid to say oh, because of course you're in Thailand two dollar meals y'all oh um, my god okay we, like should we should probably wrap, wrap it up because <laughs> I'm getting hungry now I am so hungry and it's dinner time so yeah all right. Thanks for listening, y'all. Um, hope you enjoyed. And if you, we'd like to actually hear from you. We'd like to chat back us and um, let us know where your favorite places to travel and what your favorite foods were while you were traveling there. Yeah, tell us all the names because I want a list. Yeah, I know. I want to know a sample. <laughs> and you might have noticed G and I were kind of talking a lot about. I mean, we this entire podcast is about travel, and we reference the Romans a lot. Well, there's a reason for that. Um, we're both going to be traveling to Italy next month. And we're super excited about it. Oh my god. It's been yes. five years since I was there last. And, and it's been 25 back. since I've been there. Right. Which is like never. I'm 25. 25. <laughs> no one would get so that. So who's never been. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, this will be one of my first solo trips. Because the last um, two times I was in a foreign country was study abroad. So I had a little bit of a safety net. But this is like just me planning it. Me airbnb Me doing the whole millennial spiel. Yeah, um, we're going to have to talk about that after our trip, too. Right. But and so um, our next episode is going to be on Italy, and then uh, I'll also try to do some blog posts uh, while we're traveling, and then uh, Anu can do that if she feels like it. We might share some photos. I might just be eating a lot of gelato. We'll, <laughs> you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and then uh, when we get back, maybe we'll do a follow-up episode of what we learned. Yay! Woo! Remember to um, find us on Facebook, or we don't have an Instagram, or Twitter, whatever <laughs> social platform you use. We're also yeah. on email. <laughs> and a hardcore perspective at email. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>